Hey, Billy, are you ready to meet the Hollowheads? I don't know, Brad. Are you ready to live on the edge? Oh, of course. <laughs> In this movie that nobody remembers. <laughs> it's Meet the Hollowhead. Right, welcome to 1000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that is a celebration of weird movies. Sometimes other things. Sometimes. Um, Unfortunately, not today. You. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this movie. Because... Ugh... <laughs> uh... Sometimes we talk about the the high of watching something weird, like that uh, that thing where it's like, oh, I didn't know I could still be confused. I didn't know right. I could still be um, offended, uh, affected in this way. Yes. And our movie this week, Meet the Hollowheads, aka Life on the Edge. Yes. Did that to me. Oh yeah. Oh, it did that to me too. I was. I was. Sorry, go ahead. Now, I ask this question a lot, and uh-huh. it might become a standard. Yeah. Is this the weirdest movie you ever watched? I think it is. I was... <laughs> I think it is. I, I... See, okay. So we watched Violence Voyager. Yes. We watched... What, what was the name of the stop motion? Blood Tea and Red String. Blood Tea and Red String. We've had some pretty big contenders recently. Yes. But I think this is the weirdest thing. Which I was not expecting when I, I when was, I no like you picked this out of a hat like you had you had an idea yeah it didn't work out I was originally wanted to do Mortuary Academy right but I watched about ten minutes of it sure and there were about eight different scenes and I was just like I can't fucking keep up with this to take notes <laughs> I didn't I wasn't expecting Mortuary Academy to be so dense so we might come back to Mortuary Academy yes. But so it, did, it wasn't going to work out this week. You just picked a thing out of a hat. I I knew it was on Prime, so yeah. we both have access to it. Right. I had uh, one of the Facebook groups I'm a part of about movies. Someone had recently watched this, and I was like, "Hey, I've I've been curious about this movie." And he's like, "Oh yeah, it's great. It's like Cronenberg." But everybody says that. Everybody says that about Meet the Hollowheads. <laughs> everybody says that about weird movies. They're always like. You you always get like the three different comparisons. You yeah. say it's 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 like Cronenberg, it's like Lynch, it's like Rocky Horror. Yeah. Like that could mean it's like Burton. They could that could mean anything. It's like oh Tim Burton. Tim I Burton. Thought, yeah, I was confused. Like what the fuck's Burton? <laughs> you know the the name that most normies think of immediately when they think of weird cinema. Yeah, Tim Burton. But no, nothing could have prepared us. No. For this. And I just, I knew it was weird. I knew it would fit. Yeah. And, yeah, I watched. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, very briefly. I watched it yesterday. I'm still exhausted. Yo, it's a fucking exhausting movie. <laughs> Especially that first 30 minutes. Oh my god, That first yeah. 30 minutes is like climbing Everest. You eventually get into a certain rhythm with the film, but that, yeah, that first 30 minutes, god. Well, eventually, it just... Everything we see in that first 30 minutes is almost just pushed to the side, where it's like, <laughs> now we're going to do something different. No, some of it comes back. But it, some anyway, of it does come back. Anyway, we're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, Meet the Hollowheads is a 1989 motion picture starring John Glover. Yes, my one of my favorites, John Glover. Uh, what else has John Glover been in? Billy? John Glover, he voiced the Riddler in Batman the Animated Series. I feel like that's where most people would know him. Other fans of weird or bad cinema would know him as the mad scientist in Batman Robin who turns Uma Thurman into Poison Ivy. Other superhero fans might know him mostly for Smallville, 
where he played Lionel Luther. He shows up in a bunch of stuff, but those are probably his three biggest roles. Uh, and he is just a delightfully gay Broadway actor. I loved him in this movie. Oh my god, he's so good. He was the best part <laughs> of this movie for me. Well, second best part of this movie for me. Okay, I can't wait to hear the first. My god, I love Jonathan Glover and everything he's in. He's he's so delightfully over the top all the time. This movie also features Juliette Lewis. Yes. Who's also been in a ton of things. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. She's 14 during this. She she's looks the same. It. She's the same. I think she looks exactly the same as she does now. <laughs> I mean, yes, she does in a, in a certain way. She she has a very Juliette Lewis look about her. Yes. My favorite role of hers is still as the evil manager of Gem and the Holograms in Blumhouse's masterpiece, Gem and the Holograms. I was looking up her uh, credits today and I saw that she was in Gem and the Holograms while I was yes. trying to find what her most recent work was. The masterpiece, Gem and the Holograms. I, I haven't seen the movie in nearly 20 years, but it, uh, probably Natural Born Killers for me. Oh, okay. I, I have never seen Natural Born Killers. We'll watch it sometime. We might okay. watch it for the show. Sure. Juliette Lewis was the first actor read for the part of Cindy, and <laughs> she immediately got oh, the role. You mean there wasn't a lot of competition for the role of Cindy? They did auditions. like, <laughs> But for Cindy, it also features Richard Portnow. Who's Richard Portnow? He plays Mr. Crabnack. Ah, yes. Uh, yes. Okay. That's my favorite part of the movie. Yes. No, he, he's fucking incredible. He is magnificent. Call me Marty. He is... This This film, bizarrely enough, according to the production diary, which I, I read as much as I could for the show, Yeah, Blue Velvet was sort of an inspiration for this movie. You know what? I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Krabnatic is... Basically, Frank Booth. Frank Booth, if Frank Booth was also Lex Luthor. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or poss and also Donald Trump, in a yeah. weird way. Like, oh my god, he is the worst. He's, they they really went out of their way. He's, he's like a villain in a music video. <laughs> you know, like, just like, they're never subtle villains <laughs> in music videos, because you can't, you can't get across that they're the villain otherwise. You only have three minutes, so there's just like... They're always the worst person. He feels like someone that Columbo would face off with. I don't even know. I, I I wouldn't. Columbo villains are more subtle than this guy. Yeah. Like this this guy this guy when he gets horny roars like a tiger. And there is a tiger sound. effect. There's a tiger the, sound uh, effect. And he oh my god this guy this guy is is more like someone Clouseau would pass would go <laughs> up against. Holy shit! This movie. Although the actor would definitely given his CV. I looked up to see if I'd seen him in anything else. I haven't. But he would definitely play a Columbo villain, given his track record of parts. I ha I don't remember him, but I yes. saw the movie, the made-for-TV movie Bella Mafia, which I watched when I was a teen because Jennifer Tilly was in it. Oh, good. Uh, and I was like, I appreciate how she looks. <laughs> <laughs> Bride of Chucky was your favorite movie when you were a kid. I never watched that. <laughs> um... I don't even know what I saw her in that I was like, oh my god, she's so hot. <laughs> uh, but for some reason, big Jennifer Tilly fan. Mm -hmm. Also a big fan of the Mafia. So I was like, sure. Jennifer Tilly, Mafia. I'm there for Bella Mafia. It's about a bunch of... All the Mafia men are murdered, so their wives and mothers okay. like take over taking vengeance. Oh, maybe Bella Mafia is why I was into Jennifer Tilly. Maybe. So I was watching for the Mafia... 
and I and you stayed, stayed for, for Jennifer, Jennifer Tilly. Tilly. Yeah, okay. She had huge tracts of land. Yes. Yeah. You know how I, I like them. I know how you like them. Bosomy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, it's there's... directed by Thomas R. Berman, who is yes. a... This is his first and last film. Yes. He was a special effects guy, uh, specifically <clears throat> makeup. Mm-hmm. And Which does not come ac- across in this movie as much as you might expect. No, I was expecting more. Like, when you watch The Cat in the Hat, and I tell you that it was directed by a man who up until then had only done set design for Tim Burton, you completely understand where that movie came from, because the, sh- the movie shoots the set more often than it shoots the actors. But in this movie, you were you would be expecting... You would be expecting a lot of makeup effects in this movie... But no, not so much. A lot of puppetry. A lot of puppetry, a lot of like foam suits. Sure. A lot of very bizarre costume choices. Yes. But Meet the Hollowheads is a story about the Hollowheads. Yes. Uh, Henry Hollowhead is bringing his new boss, Mr. Crabneck, over for dinner. Yes. The film is... I keep seeing it referred to as a satire of 50 sitcoms. I would say... I would say it's a parody. It's a parody, not a satire. It's There's... not really making any critique or commentary about the form, except for a few moments. I would say Blue Velvet has more claim on being a satire than this does. Yes. This is this is more of a of a parody. It's because it doesn't do anything different than a fifties sitcom would do. It's just the language used and the conclusion that they come to at the end of the story yes. is different. But I could see the same plot and the same lessons being taught on Dick, the Dick Van Dyke show and or or any of the show, Leave It to Beaver, any of the shows that it's, it's ripping off. And I think that was sort of the point. Because mm-hmm. along with... What makes this movie bizarre is that these characters live in something called the Tube World... Yes. Where there's a bunch of bizarre creatures, they have their own language, it's sort of a dystopian. Everything comes through tubes, uh, food looks disgusting. Absolutely disgusting, and alive. Uh, Most of their food is still alive. Yes. And even their musical instruments are, are strange. Nearly everything that they say or do... Like, they, they, they create a new sort of language for the characters in the same way that Star Wars does, like, in less than 12 parsecs and stuff like that, or, or Battlestar Galactica. Ah, oh, Felgercarp. But if you... In this, everything is either... is a reference to bodily functions. It's either a reference to sex, pregnancy, or more often than not, shit and toiletries. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of goo in general. Like, just... just anything gross. Yeah. They, they just... And that... So... Again, you were saying in the previous episode that when you go into these movies for this podcast, you have a sort of your thinking cap on. Mm-hmm. And when I'm going in for these movies specifically for the podcast, I also do because I'm, I'm looking for meaning in the weird. This movie pissed me off <laughs> because I don't think there was anything. I think it was just trying to be gross and offensive. Based on the production diary. Okay. They felt that this was a very sort of subversive movie, sort of... Okay. uh, Like, it was not just gross for grossness sake. This was a... 
like a commentary. They thought this movie was going to be very, very big. Interesting. They thought that this movie was going to be... The production diary says that what they were hoping for is like a blue velvet scenario where not a good box office performance, but great critical reviews. Fascinating. Yes. Okay. So this was this was a serious piece. Like this wasn't just like let's do something gross. No. Well, I was watching it. There was there was something in the back of my mind that was like someone thought this was going to be genius. Someone thought they were making the next Pee Wee's Big Adventure or something. Someone thought they were making a real cult phenomenon here. So. It sounds like you would not recommend Meet the Hollowheads. I don't think I would. I think. Hey, if you're chasing that dragon, if you're like us and you want an experience that will really blow your hair back, hey, you could do worse. Like, this is this is pretty crazy shit. Yes. It's not... <laughs> when I say offensive, I'm not... It's not like Freddy Got Fingered levels of offensive. It doesn't intentionally do anything really disturbing. It's just... It's just... Dumb. It's just a very dumb movie, and I that just kind of assaults your senses. Oh my god! It's the first, like we were saying earlier, the first half an hour is such an exhausting sensory overload. Even if you think you're ready for it, you're not ready for it. And my god, uh, so but yeah, for for enjoyment, for like art, for <laughs> any other reason other than simply like hey. I want to hate fuck my own brain for a while. <laughs> I, I can't really recommend this movie. <laughs> I would recommend it partly for what you were saying where if we're talking about unique experiences, sure. if we're talking about finding the very obscure yes. and the very, very strange. Yeah. Uh, from our introduction to the movie, we're not really highlighting how nuts this movie is. I think we're specifically trying to avoid talking about it until mm. we get into the plot description, because mm. my god, just dive in. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's hard to explain because it's the sound design, it's the visuals, it's oh my god. what's happening. But imagine, I described it to you as if David Lynch and Terry Gilliam directed an episode of The Jetsons. Yeah. Yeah. That's about what we're dealing with. Yeah. So if that sounds intriguing to you you should definitely check out meet the hollowheads i agree with you that it's not the most enjoyable movie <laughs> after it's i got definitely more on the terry gilliam side than the david lynch side yes because one thing david lynch does is that he lets moments breathe yeah. this movie does not let you breathe for a goddamn second <laughs> by the time i looked down to write a note something else had happened and i had to rewind which hurt me to do this took me forever to watch because i had to keep pausing Writing my note. Yeah. The, when I got done with this movie, I was like, this reminds me so much of the Martin Short movie Clifford. Where he plays a little kid. Yes. Yeah, that's a weird movie too. Uh, yeah, and it's Clifford is a very grating, annoying child, and it's... Yeah. The movie also did very poorly, and people are just <laughs> like, this weird, terrible child is getting on my nerves. Uh... <laughs> And it, like, I was like, but I enjoy Clifford just because it's this weird, sure, whatever, and Charles Grodin's there, and <laughs> so I kind of enjoyed this as well, where it's just like, what the fuck? 
And I wish I usually I try to watch the movies once to vet them, yeah, and then to take notes. With this, I just start out taking notes, so I I couldn't just fully yeah. absorb. Because, like I said, I had to keep stopping and typing. Right. So I couldn't get fully absorbed in it, but if I had been, it, I would have been like, this is something from another dimension. Like, this <laughs> is... It genuinely feels that way, because there are references made, like like in any movie like this, there are references made to the world outside where they don't explain what they're talking about. It's just stuff that the characters inherently know. And sometimes they're explained later, but most of the time they're not. No. And it, there are so many of them in this movie that I stopped being able to, like, I, 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 I couldn't fathom the world in my head. Yes. It was like, it's like a Doctor Who episode. It's like one of the weirder Doctor Who episodes, but you don't have the Doctor or the Companion to be like, and what's that? It's just what goes on on these horrifying planets when, yeah, the, when the camera's doctor, not around. When the camera's not around, exactly. Oh my god. There's uh, also some absolutely terrific performances in this movie. Oh. That are so much fun to watch. Legit. Not a lot of very well-known actors in this movie, but they all bring 110%. In the uh, uh, sort of epilogue for the production diary, I, I read pre-production and I read most of post-production and then I jumped to the end to see how the woman who wrote it, Lisa Morton, reflected on the entire experience. Oh, okay. But she mentioned specifically that the only person from the cast to go on to really become a star was Juliette Lewis. Yes, that is true. That is true. Which is weird that she's the one. Uh, the the actor who plays the little the little brother, the Beaver character in yeah. the show, he went on to be a fairly successful director. Yeah, he, he's directed he several episodes of Game of Thrones, which is weird to me because he was such a good-looking little kid. Like yeah. he had the perfect. No, like he had the perfect sort of Jimmy Olsen look to him. Yeah, that I would imagine. I would have imagined that he would have gotten so much work after this. But he, he didn't. That kid, uh, Matt Shakeman, was especially excited to do this movie because Tom Berman was a special effects makeup guy. Yeah. Matt Shakeman, as a 12-year-old, was super into that. That's what he wanted to do. So Great. He got to... He's actually spent his 13th birthday at the studio with Thomas Berman, like, doing lessons and stuff. That's awesome. That's great. So I think he always sort of wanted to be behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And okay, so if that's his dream, you you go ahead and live that dream, kid. Billy, that was his name. Should have remembered that. Yeah, because I know someone named Billy. Billy Ocean. Billy Ocean, exactly. And okay, so now we're going to get into the plot details. More than usual, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Because, wow. <laughs> the uh, Meet the Hollowheads is at least currently available on Amazon Prime. At least at the time of this recording, yes. So if you have that, you can watch it to, for no expense to yourself. It's also, I noticed it elsewhere on the internet, doing a very cursory search. I think it's on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I'm not sure. But... I don't think it is, but it okay. is, it, I saw it elsewhere. So, my very first note. Yes. <laughs> Wait, Juliette Lewis is in this? <laughs> My first note was, John Glover, I love him! <laughs> okay, before we get into the plot, I just want to say how much I fucking hate the plot description on 
Amazon Prime. What does it say? So here's the plot description on uh, Amazon Prime. The Hollowheads are a strange futuristic family that live in a world with many cool gadgets. Henry is hoping for a promotion at the slime factory in which he works and decides to bring his boss home to dinner to meet the family. The rude boss does not know what he is up against when he begins his advances towards the missus. I mean, that's, that's what happens in the movie. No, it's not. That's, that's exactly such a what happened. bad description. Except I don't think he works at a slime factory. He doesn't work at a slime factory. They don't have cool gadgets. They don't have... They Henry, have gadgets. Henry, Henry's hoping for a promotion, but he specifically does not invite his boss home to dinner. No. And... The rude boss does not know what he is up against when he starts making advances on the miss. He knows exactly what he's up against. Things just don't go the way that he thought that they would. Jeez Louise. It's, it, that set me up for a, such a more lame, much less interesting movie than I was expecting. Okay. The one in, on Wikipedia is much better. The film is a black comedy or satire of 1950s sitcom set in a dystopic future populated by bizarre tentacled creatures which function dually as household appliances and food. That is so much more accurate to what actually happened in the film. Yeah. But the the Amazon Prime description sounds like a back of the VHS it, summary. I, I it probably is. Yeah. That's... So you can't be like uh <laughs> it's not a big seller if on the back of the VHS it's like <laughs> combination of gadget and food. <laughs> No, I understand someone's trying to sell it, but they're trying to sell it by lying to me, and I got and I, I hate that shit. Gotcha. Yeah. One of the things that Lisa Morton mentions in the production diary mm-hmm. is when the children auditioned, they didn't get full scripts. They just got sides. Okay. So once they hired the actors, they were like, oh shit, they haven't seen the full script. Uh, <laughs> how's this going to go over? We need to make sure they know it's a comedy and this is a quote, and not some new kind of kitty porn. That's horrible. Yeah. No, it's it's a frightening self-examination of your own oh, work. Oh, no. Oh, God. So, the first thing you notice when this movie starts, at least the first thing I noticed, was that the music is fucking strange. Yeah. The music is, is the most plinky-plunky... It's very, very cartoony. Atonal nonsense shit you've ever heard in your life. Which I think was meant to be a takeoff of 50 sitcom incidental music. Oh yeah, definitely. But, wow. Is yeah. it is it hard to listen to? It, and it's a lot of bing boom, bing boom, bing boom. Oh bing, yeah, bing, like I said, plinky plunky bullshit. Just constantly just assaulting you. You, you feel like that one frame of of the how the Grinch stole Christmas where he's got the two drumsticks hitting him on the sides of the head. It's just God, it's horrible. And the sound effects are very overbearing. Yes. And constant. And blaring and, and loud. And, and since and we open in the factory where John Glover's characters character works. So right off the bat, the loudest sound effects possibly in the entire movie are hitting you. Because the pipes are blasting, he's talking into a pipe. Uh, it's just it's just constant <laughs> loudness in your in your face right off the bat. Yes, letting you know this movie is going to be an assault <laughs> on your senses. But after that first half an hour, once Mister Crabneck shows up 
and all of the very strange sort of animal devices that you see in the beginning are mostly gone. Yeah. And it becomes a much... Not a, it's not a quiet movie. No. But it is a quieter movie. Quieter movie. Once the plot gets going, which is, yes, about a half an hour into the movie, it becomes a much more understandable film. Yes. Uh, we begin with a narration by Billy Hollowhead telling us that this is about the day his dad brought his boss home from dinner. Specifically, The Shift. The Shift. His dad brought his boss home for dinner. Billy's dad apparently works in the tube factory... Yes. Because the factory is just filled with fucking tubes. What is it? Is it uh, umbilical? Umbilical Utility. Uh, oh, yeah. Umbilical Utility is the name of the company he works for. And is apparently the major company that rules the world in this universe. And everything in this world is done through tubes. Yes. Uh, you get things delivered to the house through tubes. Yep. You get food through tubes. Yep. You extricate food through tubes. Everything is tube. Everything is two. Yeah. Meet the Hollowheads not only has its original, its own original theme song. Yes. It's a rap. It's a rap. So it's 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 basically, you know, the the Turtle Power rap from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie or the MC Hammer uh, Adams Family rap from the Adams Family movie. It's one of those. Straight up talking about, and Henry's the father of the family, and Bill, he's the little tyke, <laughs> and all this stuff. And it's just uh, so of the time. It's very dated. Not the director and uh, his gang's fault. It okay. was something added by the studio, Linden Studios, after the fact. That makes perfect sense. Yes. It makes perfect sense. And uh, just imagine, like... And it's put at the beginning of the movie. Most of the time these songs cut in during the credits. Or, yeah. But this song comes in right at the beginning of the film, right after he makes a phone call to his wife that his boss is coming home. And we, as we're sort of traveling through the tubes, like up, like following them, just imagine the horror that you have, this is a debut project for you. Yes. You put a lot of work into it. You yep. think you have, you do have this extremely unique thing. Yes. Very specific vision. Yes. That you, that is art. Yes. And someone puts a fucking explanatory <laughs> rap theme song at the beginning of your of your movie. Yeah. So, which is worse? The explanatory rap theme song at the beginning of your movie or forcing you to include a Kiefer Sutherland narration at the beginning of your movie like in Dark City? I think if Dark City started with a rap song <laughs> where it's like, the city moves around at night. <laughs> the main character is not really a serial killer. He just thinks he is. Ba-da! Oh, way to spoil Dark City for anybody who hasn't seen it. Well, if anybody sees the theatrical cut, Kiefer Sutherland spoils it at the beginning of the True. movie. But I think... Because I, I believe the Billy Billy's narration was also... An after the fact thing. It felt like it. So most, so, if so, you go into the the history of cinema, most voiceover narrations and movies are things added by studios after the fact. Yeah, like almost every single time a voiceover narration is in a movie, it's because some studio was like, the audience won't understand this, like uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 
Dark City, Blade Runner, this. Almost, <laughs> almost always. All amazing movies. All amazing movies on the, exa- I'm putting those on the same pedestal. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man. I could see this, this movie <laughs> taking place in the Blade Runner universe. This feels dystopian enough. This could, this could be what the Martian this colonies is, are. This is not... <laughs> enjoy the good life in the off-world colonies like tube world (laughs) imagine that you leave uh the hellscape that earth has become yeah yeah. and you move into the hellscape that is the tube planet oh my god that is life on the edge oh my god is covid19 the virus that wipes out all animal life in the pre-world before blade runner is that what's is that what we're going to end up with? I mean, it's not affecting animals because Trump so. keeps calling it the Chinese virus. Just all the all mm. the Asian influence and the thing—they're all going to move in, and everybody's going to know Chinese or Japanese or whatever. I, I just hope if that happens, Edward yeah. James almost doesn't uh, play an Asian man again. <laughs> I hope he doesn't like try oh, to that's disrespect. Right. I forgot he was supposed to be Asian. Yeah. <laughs> I believe he was. I I hope he wasn't supposed to be, but he probably was, yeah. He did pull his eyes backwards a lot. He did. Too bad she won't live. But anyway, who does? No, I think that this movie... There are some fucking terrible lines and line readings in Blade Runner. <laughs> What are you talking about? That movie is flawless. Wake up. Time to die. Oh, that's not a bad line. That's, that's a terrible. great... Everything Rutger Hauer ever did was perfect. That wasn't Rutger Hauer. That was Rutger Hauer. What are you talking about? Oh, no. Wake oh. up. No, that was uh, Kowalski. Oh, you're right. Uh, yeah, everything Kowalski says is bad. Yeah. <laughs> Edward James' almost character was named Gaff, so I don't know if... He was just, he was obviously playing Joe Biden. Maybe I'm super racist for assuming he was Asian? (laughs) Yeah, Brad, how dare you? I only see one race, the NASCAR race. Oh. Uh, I mean, he does origami. (laughs) So clearly, he must be Asian. You asshole. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 hold on. Okay. Ridley Scott allowed almost to create... A background story for Gaff, deciding that the character was primarily of Mexican-Japanese heritage. Well, Edward James Olmos is Hispanic. Yeah. So that part's not racist. No. But, yeah, the Japanese part is a bit... I mean... bit racist. I don't know that it's racist. racist. Maybe Edward James Olmos is... Maybe it's just like... (laughs) Backstory for Gaff. Backstory for Edward James Olmos. (laughs) I think this movie takes place in the future of the Modern Times universe. Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. Okay, I've never seen it. Okay. I'm not 6,000 years old. (laughs) Cinema hasn't been around for 6,000 years. Oh, good one, Billy. (laughs) What did they watch on the Ark then? (laughs) They just watched the animals hump and wondered, how are we going to deal with this? I hope and the fl- water goes down in under nine months or however long these creatures gestate. And Ham was like... We don't know anything about zoology. Ham was like, when this ends, I'm looking at my dad's dick so hard. <laughs> he was planning it all he along. He was planning it the whole time. Motherfucker, was... I can't wait for this rain to stop so I can look at dad's dick. <laughs> so hype. 
So oh, I, God I, doesn't know. So I pretend dick. <laughs> gonna get him drunk. Gonna look at that D. Can't wait for daddy dick. I need to know if mine is normal. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this. Fucking movie. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. So, but anyway, I wrote down uh, when I was because it opens with um John Glover playing this very enthusiastic sort of George Jetson type yeah. character was like, Honey, the boss is coming home for dinner. I know it's going to be a bit of an imposition. And he's doing this. And at the same time, the camera is going through all these tubes and all these machines and steam keeps blowing at you. And so, yeah, I wrote down that I was getting a very modern times meets the stupids vibe. Gotcha. It, it, it sort of gave me a, like that sort of combination of, of what if, what if Modern Times was remade in the 90s starring whoever the fuck was that guy in, in The Stupids? Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold. What if, what if Modern Times was remade in the 90s starring Tom Arnold? I don't know. This would happen, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, then we see Mrs. Hollowhead. We see that phone technology has gone backwards in the yes. future. Yes, they hold a tube up to their mouth, they hold a tube up to their ear, and yes. that's phones. Yes. Given this movie, I'm surprised nothing came out of those tubes and sprayed her in the face. I want to ask you something. Okay. I want to have some dude talk okay. about Miriam some... Hollowhead. Okay. Did you become more attracted to her as the movie went on? Yeah. 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 It was weird, wasn't well, it? Well, uh... <laughs> It's not that she's an unattractive woman. No, like she's she's made up to look like the mom in those shows. Yes. And frankly, the mom in 60s and 50s sitcoms was always very attractive. Yes. Uh, they specifically made them for that because they were filming for the male gaze. Yeah. But uh, so she's she's a fine-looking lady, but yeah, towards the end of the movie, they start specifically shooting from what is his name? Mr. Crabsticks? Mr. Crabneck. Mr. Crabnecks gaze and so they start highlighting more attractive aspects of her i guess that was it <laughs> and so yeah mystery solved mystery That's right. solved. now remembering oh yeah it's, it, there's... yeah no they start focusing on the chestal region quite yes. a lot and so yeah yeah i did end up becoming more interested in her yeah. as the time went on she was always an attractive lady absolutely yeah, no, the... nancy met Nancy does a pretty Met. good job. She does a pretty great job, and I was, again, surprised that she never really went anywhere. Yeah. Looking her up, she doesn't have a lot of other credits. And she probably has the most thankless job of all the cast, where it's just like, she has to maintain enthusiasm at a 10. Don't mothers always. Like, yeah. Uh, ain't she, that right, ladies out there? She's the one who, the one who has to lean most into the 50s persona. Yeah, absolutely. Well, her and John Glover both, I would say, have to lean into that part. Yeah. John Glover gets more fun things to do. Yes. Because his the guy persona just gives him more things to do, whereas she is always in the kitchen or having, like, serious talks with the daughter and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty thankless being the... Pretty thankless job being the mom in the house. Uh, Miriam Hollowhead is frantic about the boss coming for dinner. Yes. The Hollowheads have, we, they have a few pets. One of them is a bunch of tentacles and an eyeball It reminded jar. It reminded me of the, the trash compactor monster from the first Star Wars movie. It looked a lot like that. Yeah. Billy Hollowhead comes home with a black eye. Yes. And we can't have a black eye if the boss is coming over. No, can't have that. So then, 
my nightmares began. Because up until this point, again, I was expecting something along the line of the stupids. Yeah. Like something just very unoffensive, trying way too hard to be funny, and like, ooh, we're wacky, and then suddenly this happens. From the wall, she sort of pulls down this black cot that leans against the cabinets. She straps Billy to it. Billy is pleading and, like, almost screaming yes, for her to stop. Not want this to happen. He says, I don't want this to happen, Mom. I don't want this. I don't want this. He, she puts this sort of helmet, this... Uh, like a gas mask, almost. Sort of like a gas mask over his head. She attaches a tube to the blackened eye and begins to turn a crank. She cranks and cranks and cranks. And this pucker-mouthed monster... This pucker mouth like sort of tube creature. Yeah, it's based on a gooey duck, a gooey duck clam. Uh, what's it? Okay, it's it's sort of this long, ugly looking. Okay, uh, clam sure. thing. Uh, it comes down the tube and attaches to Billy's eye. Jesus Christ! And now one of my favorite characters comes in, Billy's friend Joey. Joey, who if if anyone out there again is is into bad movies, if you've ever seen Teen Witch. It's the exact same actor and performance as the little brother in that movie. And it works better in this movie. Oh, it's great. It's great. He's like a little fucking John Lovitz. <laughs> but yeah, this actor always gives the same performance. If you're into it, it's great. Well, I've never seen it before because I've not watched Teen Witch yet. Oh, we it's gotta watch my... Teen Witch. It's on my list. I've seen the top of that rap. <laughs> the top that rap is probably the highlight of that movie, but this kid, oh my god. Like I said, Joey's a little John Lovitz. He sort of oh talks like this a little bit. Oh, and you have it all. Very you mischievous. Have a mom. And uh, Joey tells Mrs. H that Billy got his black eye from Johnny. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Not, uh, not, I, I was expecting like a subplot or something, yeah. which almost happens. Not with, with the, Johnny. With the conversation with the boss later, but oh, a little bit. Yeah, oh, I. You know, I was expecting because a lot of this, a lot of times in sixty sitcoms, this would happen that Johnny would end up being the boss's son. Oh, and he would be like, "Oh, you're accusing my son Johnny of doing something like this? How dare you allow this in your house, Henry?" Yada yada yada. But no, that didn't. They didn't go that route. And more horror comes. Mrs. Hollowhead is going to make. The boy's a snack. A special. Her her homemade special. Yes. Uh, which Joey, uh, later, when he's talking about how good Billy has it, he's like, you got a mom, You got she makes you homemade specials. <laughs> like, that's, that's great. I can't, I can't tell you how upset the face worm made me. It, I was just so horrified. It the, came out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Nothing in the tone of the movie prepared me for that. Nope, it just... And this is where it's it's not satire, it's parody, because it's just going like, what if 50 sitcoms were a horrorscape of flesh and monsters? Right, so what if instead of being like, Mom, don't wash it out with alcohol, it'll hurt, yeah. it was literally, here, kid, you have to get face-fucked by the death worm. Mm -hmm. And it's, wow... Wow. And it would be satire if, like, Billy was had, like, enduring trauma. Right. But instead it's just, like, everything's still peachy, so it's not, like, there's yeah. no critique or commentary. Because it no. could be a thing, like, uh, 
harsh punishments for kids or whatever, but it's not even really that. Right, right. But she takes out a, a container of strange creatures, which sort of look like red frogs with twin tails. Oh my god. <laughs> They're alive. They are alive. They're she moving. She skewers one with a big fork. Yes. Then she puts the creatures into a press, slaps it down, and slices the creatures into a bunch of parts, which are still alive. It's a slap chop. And here's where I went, Joey isn't horrified. No. So this is not the story of, like, there's one super super weird family and the rest of the world is normal, like an Adams family. Yeah, Edwards yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I was like, oh, this is just, the, wor- the world is fucking nuts. Yeah, the, the whole world, world is. In fact, Joey is implied to be worse than the family because he's... He's like an agent of chaos. He's always the one... He's the Eddie Haskell. Yeah, he's always the one uh, convincing Billy to do things that will get him in trouble. Um, next, she puts the creature slices on some strips of dough, adds some goo. Is that what that was? I assume it was. <laughs> it's just like white strips of like foam, almost. I don't... Uh, the creature slices seem to still be alive as they react when she pierces them with a toothpick. Uh, the boys go off with their snack. And, uh, yeah, those two sequences are back-to-back. Back-to-back. And back. it is... It is... It is. It's already exhausting. <laughs> like, I, I appreciate... The effects look good. I like the style yeah. of the effects. Yeah. I love the concept, but it's the movie... It's the goofy sound effects take away from... The true horror of what we're watching. It's... Oh, my God. Uh, That's the other thing, is that... It's just moving so fast. That where I I have trouble with the David Lynch comparison is that David Lynch is very specific and intentional in his sound design. Yes. He does not make conventional sound design choices, but he is very specific about the sound design choices he does make, and this movie uh, is... All over the place with its sound design. It's very sort of like Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse with just like how much the sound is slapping you in the face. Yes. I half expected things to start talking. I don't think they got the guy, but their first choice for like sound designer, uh, sound editor, whatever you call it. Yeah. uh, Maybe I should know anything about movies. (laughs) (laughs) I also do not know the difference between sound design and sound editing. Well, they wanted the guy who worked with Lynch on Blue Velvet. Makes sense. Uh, I don't think they got him. Okay. Uh, Mrs. Hollowhead is working on dinner. She opens up a hole in the wall, and out comes a very phallic tentacle. An extremely phallic tentacle. She tugs on it for... And it does slap her in the face. She tugs on it for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Can I tell you a secret? (laughs) Okay. Scene really got me going. (laughs) She is... She's she's jerking pulling, off this tentacle. Jerking off the tentacle. The tentacle is slapping her in the face, and she's not opposed to it. She's <laughs> what an inconvenient fucking world. <laughs> like, oh, you, you think <laughs> you can't just like here? Where's my meat? You gotta, you gotta fight the meat. Fucking jerk this tentacle for half an you hour. You gotta beat that meat. And then once she gets tired of it, she closes the little portal it comes out of and slices it off. Right. Then she begins to chop up the tentacle. Mm-hmm. Joey sneaks in Spike. Wait, before that, Joey and Billy start playing a game. Called Spray Splat, or Splat Spray. Where they shoot these little booger things 
at a fan, and the fan spreads it all around the room or around like a dartboard. They get different points, and then they decide to go and let in Spike. Who the uh, Miriam says specifically not to let in. No. Because he has an infestation. He has an infestation and needs to be depenetrated. Yes. Yes. And he's infested with these gigantic beetles. The boys sneak him in anyway. Spike is not a dog. He has the proportions of a dog. He's the general form of a dog. General form of a dog, but his face... His face looks like the little troll goblin thing... From the labyrinth that helps Jennifer Connelly around the labyrinth. It's a monster. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's just it's, a little strange it's monster this thing. It's gross, almost decomposing. It doesn't even move like a dog. I don't know if it's a dog in that suit. I can't... I think it is. I can't imagine how else they would do the effect, but it yeah. does not move like a dog. No, it moves like a horror show. It's it's uh, it's horrifying. It's terrible. So they, they bring the dog back to Billy's room, and the boy's pluck off these big beetles disgusting things and use it in Billy's spray and splat game yeah which is like darts with a slingshot and the the bugs when they splat unlike the boogers which each have like fun colorful things they all bleed red human colored blood yes and the blood gets all over the room and all it's over, over the, the kids all over the all over the kids yeah and uh, they are just loving it again no horror shown by the kids they're just it's, boys enjoying gross things. Which I can see boys in in, the, in our world enjoying the spray and splat game. Sure. Parents would fucking hate it. They're, I yeah. kind of fucking hate the idea of it. I despise it. It's, it's terrible. This long sequence, aside from the little bit of world building and just some gross out bullshit, yeah. adds nothing to the movie. Nothing. Except for the tentacle, which does come back later. The phallic tentacle. Well, yeah, that comes... But I mean the spray and splat game. Which oh, goes yeah, on that whole sequence. a few minutes. Nothing. No, there's a lot of educational value in what Miriam does with that tentacle. There's <laughs> a lot of world building going there's on. There's a... Yeah. There's a lot of world uh, building. But... Uh, uh, so then their teenage son comes home. Bud. Played Bud. by Lightfield Lewis, Juliet Lewis's brother. Really? Yes. Okay. And he comes in. Do you wish your name was Lightfield? No. Really? Sounds lame. <laughs> Do you wish that your name was Lightfield? I don't know that I wish it was Lightfield, but uh-huh. it's a cool name. Okay. It's like one step away from being Hologram Lewis. <laughs> this all sounds very silly to me. You wouldn't want to be named Hologram Lewis? No! That sounds awful. What about Hologram Martell? You get to keep your family name. Continue the line. Well, that was my only issue with it, and therefore I'm fine. Awesome. I'm on board. We'll start the paperwork. (laughs) Hologram Martell. Thank God. You can go by Graham, you can go by Hollow, you can go by Low, you can go by Ho. I can can go by Logra? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be... Logra Martell. Sounds like a cholesterol medicine, for sure. (laughs) But anyway, what was his character's name again? Bud. Bud. Uh, Why, sir? Bud comes home. What a timely reference. (laughs) It's one of those things that's burned into the back of my brain and I can never forget it. You were like three when that happened. Yeah. It's very formative for me. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Bud, Bud shows up. 
And uh, he comes in on the kids. He has this horrifying musical instrument that is his life. Yeah. With a rubber chicken in it. It's, But it's not a rubber chicken because it's fucking alive at the end. Well, yeah. No, it's a live uh, lizard chicken creature, but like it's... The prop is obviously a rubber chicken that, yeah. they, that they've mangled in some way. He comes in on the, the two kids playing with their bugs, and he tells them that he's going to tell on them if they don't uh, feed Grandpa for my next three turns. And I, dear viewers, have just seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, for the first time in my life, very recently, as of this recording. So the feed grandpa the next three turns immediately sent me to a very dark place. Yes. Oh, I, I knew immediately that, like, oh, that's, yeah, grandpa's not doing well. Yeah. Oh, well, clearly grandpa's not doing well, but my brain immediately went to the desiccated corpse of grandpa in the attic, feeding by sucking blood from the fingers of the heroine in, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you should have stopped this before we said spoilers. <laughs> Sorry, um, Bud is uh, Bud can't stick around for dinner with Mister Crabneck because right. he's going to a party. Cindy is also going to a party. Yes. Now, in the first draft of this film, okay, that was the movie was going to follow them to the party. Interesting. That was going to be the second half of the film, and the entire film that we see would have been the first half. The idea was that the scope of the movie would span three different decades: the fifties the 60s and then when they go to the party that would be the 80s interesting so it'd be takes on different but they decided after the first draft to focus on that first half interesting okay okay i don't know how to feel about that i mean it, it it's largely inconsequential yeah since it was discarded so soon in the process sure but it would have been interesting and possibly also unbearably annoying. Very possibly. I'm not a Juliette Lewis fan. I don't so... mind her. I'm not crazy about her, but she does fine work. I find her acting irritating to me. Okay. Uh, I, I don't like picking on actors, but just in my own opinion, I don't enjoy watching her for very long. So, this movie had just enough Juliette Lewis for me, where she did not affect my viewing experience too much, but, um, yeah, so there's that. That's I just gotcha. an, uh, my own personal axe to grind, and everyone, please disagree with me. I really don't like disliking Don't actors. worry, no one's going to listen to this. Great! <laughs> Cindy comes home, mm -hmm. and she goes up to tell Bud to stop playing his... Horrible, discordant music. Yes. His... She, she specifically tells him to pinch it off. Yes. Yes. And his instrument, as we said, incorporates a chicken, a keyboard, a trombone slide, horns. And then he asks her to sing, and she immediately starts singing with him. Yep. She sings a song, and the vocals help the uh, music not be as loud. I guess. I, I, I didn't hate the song. It wasn't a horrible song. It wasn't a good song. It wasn't a horrible song. Uh, Juliette Lewis is a, a fine singer, I think. Oh, I agree, yeah. Definitely. And here's where I, I took the note, who the fuck is this movie for? <laughs> that is the big question. 
is who the fuck is this movie for? Who did they think it was for in the production notes? It seems to be that they were going for sort of an art house crowd. Okay. They like I said, there's a lot of mentions of blue velvet and the idea in the very beginning she meant Lisa Morton, who was like the co-writer and also helped with production, mm-hmm. said that an inspiration for the movie was Blue Velvet, right? Because that showed her that you can lay your subconscious bare on film. Sure. Okay. So this was clearly there were personal things in this movie. Mm-hmm. If you're laying your subconscious bare, definitely. So I I think it was meant for sort of like an art. The idea was that. I think the description of David Lynch as someone who lays his subconscious bare might be one of the most perfect descriptions of David Lynch's filmmaking style I've ever heard. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I will say, if my big problem with this movie is if that's what they were going for, then they didn't lay their subconscious bare enough. No. I think that if they were going... Like you were saying with the satire, it's not satire because there's nothing that tells us that when anything is wrong ex- except later when the boss shows up which is becomes the most interesting part of the movie mm-hmm. or the, at least the most able to be followed part of the movie coherent that's the word I'm looking for the most coherent part but then there's like there's there's no subtext to anything there's no like not really there's nothing even in the in the anti-corporate messaging at the end of the film there's nothing to be learned there other yeah. than sometimes there are people who have power and are mean about it. Yeah. That's the only lesson I learned. Whereas Blue Velvet, I, I realize I'm a fanboy, but like it kind of like lent into talking about the horrors of abuse and mental illness that are not talked about mm-hmm. in society that are kept below the surface of society yeah. because they are unpleasant to talk about and how people would prefer to just live in a, a blissful re- existence in suburbia. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I, I guess that's what holds the movie back the yeah. most. Like... This could, this is an extremely disturbing movie. Yes, it's absolutely very, it is. It's very cartoony. Yeah. I feel like this is almost like Tracks, where it's very close. Yes. But it's, at the same time, the gap is, if you took some things out, yeah, it would be... This would be a much different movie. Mm-hmm. I think if they played up the disturbing nature, the, like incorporated the weird animal devices more, like yeah, made some sort of commentary about that. Sure, th- this would be a genuinely amazing movie because it's a very singular experience. Sure, if there is a good movie in here. What's the difference, would you say, between the the animal creature devices in this movie and the animal that have sexual references attached to them and sexual imagery attached to them and the animal creature devices that have sexual imagery and sexual references attached to them and, say, the naked lunch? 
It's been a while since I've seen Naked Lunch. But I know a typewriter orgasms at one point. Yeah. That sounds like something that happened to Naked Lunch. <laughs> uh, with that, from what I can remember, it wasn't... It felt more natural to the movie. Here it's like, oh, look at this weird thing. Sure, Look at yeah. this weird tentacle thing. It's not going to... It's going to be weird, mm-hmm. but it's not going to draw you into the world. Sure. Whereas the imagery in Naked Lunch adds to the... The atmosphere? The atmosphere. It's... I don't know what the line is. Maybe it's because... It's hard to get drawn into the atmosphere when the atmosphere is... Yeah, yeah. The the atmosphere in this movie is so um, offensive to your senses. And so, specifically, that 90s sort of, like, um, fuck you, mom, ketchup is green now, like, sort of uh, aesthetic. And I don't know how much of that is the writer or director's fault and how much of that is the studio because clearly like part of that is the rap song yes and the music and the colors of everything and the fact that it doesn't say anything well the colors were intentional okay the colors were intentional but like if the rap song was was studio mandate how much of the plink plunk i mean the music was studio mandate i know that three songs not including the rap song or maybe including the rap song i don't remember okay at least three songs were added by the studio at some point. Okay, okay. But what? Whatever. We 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 gotta move on with more of the movie. We got more of the movie to go. Uh, Mrs. Hollowhead's tubes are blocked, so she sends Billy to the pumping station to either get the tubes unstuffed or get what's on the list. She warns the boys to stay away from the edge. Yep. And First reference to the edge. Constantly hearing from about one of the, the movie's edge, titles, which seems to be the edge of whatever thing they're on. Another reference to Dark World. Yeah. yeah. Or Discworld. Maybe this is a Terry Pratchett project in secret. And this is another problem with the movie, is they keep talking about the edge. Yes. The edge, the edge, the edge. Yeah. Do we see the edge? Never. Nope. In fact, when they go out of the house, they're very specifically walking through a black void. Yes. We don't see anything they walk through with a very weak glowworm lantern yes and which again this could if the movie were shot a little bit better yeah uh this could be a very disturbing sequence where you again if this movie i think if it were played straighter yeah if it were if it wasn't leaning into bugs bunny music this could be a really affecting scene where it's just they go out and it's pitch black and these very young boys are just like yes whatever this is the world right so yeah if if this again going back to your original description of david lynch meets terry gilliam if terry gilliam had directed this they would have gone out and immediately been in just a hellscape yeah of tubes and pipes and a bunch of very dirty people saying you want to buy some pipes or something like like just all sorts of weird nightmare shit so that you would get a sense that while we pretend that life is okay in this world inside the house and everything is colorful the minute you go outside you see the reality that people are suffering 
and these kids just blaze past it. But I, I still like the dark idea that just because that's horrifying. Like, what if it was just? I don't even like the sun, but I sure. like knowing it's there. Sure, uh, it's nice that there are daytimes and night times. Fall is my favorite season, but we couldn't have fall without summer. Exactly. Yeah. The sun does a lot for us. It does. So it would be spooky if it wasn't there. It would be very spooky. And it also, also, it is a spooky idea that there's just an edge to the world yeah. that you can fall off. But I wish... Like, again, there are so many things that are brought up that are absolutely inconsequential. Yeah. The edge is neat for world building, but again, I'm not being drawn into this world. Right. And if... It's, 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 I kind of like that the title ended up being Meet the Hollowheads, because the title Life on the Edge, while it would be more of a movie, a, a title that would make me want to watch this, want to watch it more, uh, it it's so inconsequential to the plot. Like I get it, Life on the Edge, but the movie doesn't explore what Life on the Edge is actually like. Yeah, we only get like a brief snapshot of one family. And the the creators of the movie not happy about that name change. Not happy about the name change from uh, Life on the Edge to, to Meet the Hollowheads. I can understand it. It's a stupid title. <laughs> it's the most basic title you can come up with. Yeah, absolutely. A couple fun facts. Sure. The actor who played Max Headroom, Matt Frewer, auditioned. Oh, he would have been great. For Mr. Crabneck, I believe. Oh, well, I like the actor they got, but I love Matt Frewer. He's so weird i'm not very familiar with the man uh if you ever want to see him give an absolutely hilarious performance check out sci-fi sci-fi channels tv miniseries alice okay he plays the white knight and he is uh phenomenal apparently he auditioned as max headroom oh no <laughs> yeah yeah he, he that was, doing... was a lapse of judgment yeah <laughs> he was doing the uh voice and everything oh no a video crew was supposed to be documenting the making of the movie. Okay. But when the producer of the crew read the script, he withdrew. <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd and Terry Garr were offered roles. That makes a lot of sense. Dan Aykroyd, again, for Mr. Krabnick. Again, it makes a lot of sense. I am surprised that Dan Aykroyd was not into this movie. Because this seems like the kind of thing that would be right up his alley. I can only imagine that it did not make its way to like his hands. Oh, okay. I'm sure his agent was like... His handlers no. were like, we don't need any more of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, we only need one nothing but trouble in your oeuvre. <laughs> <Oeuvre>, sorry. That's alright. <laughs> he probably says, like, we only need one nothing but trouble in your oeuvre. <laughs> I like the idea that Dan Aykroyd's manager is just Dan Aykroyd doing a character. <laughs> he's like uh, uh, Andy Kaufman. Yeah. He's just constantly creating other characters that he completely inhabits. Boys arrive at the pumping station, which is, again, just a bunch of tubes. Just a bunch of tubes. Uh, Joey steals something from the Reamers, the men who clean the tubes. Yes, and he also cranks a, a, a tube to spray steam at one of the, the reamers. Joey's just an agent of chaos. And yeah. he, he has a suicidal compulsion to do things that will get him and Billy in trouble. Yeah. Because he desperately wants to die. <laughs> he just desperately wants to die. But I I really enjoy this little actor. Like he, <laughs> Oh, yeah. He just has such this this sort of blasé, like, but with a spark of mischief. Like, I... Hey, yeah. Billy! He's like trying to be the little kid version of Bill Murray. He's just so... 
he's so odd. His performance is great. Uh, they meet Station Master Babalax. Who is played by Mama from Throw Mama from a Train. And uh, Mama Fratelli. Mm-hmm. This is Anne Ramsey. Love Anne Ramsey. She's so weird. This was her last film. Oh. Here's another thing that was added by the studio. Okay. She is... When Anne Ramsey speaks in this movie, she is a little hard to understand. Right. That is because of the cancer she had. Oh. Yes. And the I studio... I thought she was just putting on a voice. I thought it was a character as well. But it was because of cancer. And that the studio sucks. added the subtitles in. I didn't hate the subtitles. I didn't mind them either, but Lisa Morton, at the very least, was very offended by the idea, like, oh, the woman has cancer. Like, it's just sort of... But, uh... That, I, I can definitely understand being offended by that, and it is kind of offensive. I thought it was a stylistic choice. I thought that was their David Lynch inspiration coming in. I thought I thought it was like, oh, it's loud. These like because we assumed it was a character, and right. the idea was like these characters are so hard to understand. They need subtitles because her her sidekick is subtitled too, which is her husband, I believe. Is it Logan okay. Ramsey? Oh well, he was great too. Yes, yeah. They're they're that is. Probably the most lynchy scene in the entire movie. When I when I talk about characters, the lynchiness of this movie, I mean yeah. one with the the creature effects because it's it's reminiscent of stuff you'll see in Eraserhead. Sure, and also the idea of skewering a, suburbia. Back at home, Mrs. Hollowhead and Cindy, who's getting ready for the party, have a conversation about softening jelly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and softening jelly is something that ladies use. Yes. For some reason. It makes them feel nice. It does make them feel nice. Yeah. Two, and two men, apparently. I guess. And this is another thing where it's like, the scene is parroting like, mom needs to have a serious discussion with daughter. She literally says, they grow up too f- so fast at the end of the scene. And the actors and the writing nail that vibe. Yes. They absolutely get it 100% correct. The earnestness of the acting in that scene impressed me. Yes. And that's the way that you need to play scenes like that. The problem is, once again, it doesn't really have any substance. Yeah. I don't know if we're supposed to be laughing at the repeated use of the phrase softening jelly. I, I, I did not, if that was the idea. And it's not like... Again, you're going for that parody, but the scene's not especially funny, and it's not really saying anything. It's sort of like, I think maybe the joke was the same thing as as those Vines or TikToks where someone will say a cliche phrase in a meaning, with where the words are replaced with meaningless sounds, Mm -hmm. but it's just such a repeated phrase that you are so familiar with that you immediately understand the character coming across. Like, there's that one, the only one that's coming to mind at the moment, but you all, I'm sure people are familiar with this form, where someone says, that is not correct. Because according to the encyclopedia, and you immediately understand yeah. the form of what's coming across, and in a, what was it, seven seconds, Vine was, you... That's enough That's enough of a joke for seven seconds. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, we've all seen that guy. We all know that guy. But uh, in this, it's a whole scene inside of a movie where they're taking a form of a scene you know and replacing the words with words you don't know. Yeah. And that's not enough of a joke 
for a whole scene, it's not enough of a joke for a whole movie. Yeah. And that kind of seems to be the joke. It seems to be. Yeah. Cindy, eventually Miriam relents, and Cindy is allowed to use softening jelly. Right. Mr. Hollowhead, Henry, finally comes home with his boss, Mr. Crabneck. Mr. Crabneck looks sort of like cross between Joe Pesci and my cousin Vinny and John Waters. <laughs> Wearing the Joker's suit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, that's perfect. Jo- John Glover is a treasure. He is so delightfully gay in everything. And his he, performance in this movie is beautiful. It's fantastic. And again, so is Richard Portnow, who plays Mr. Crabneck. Oh my God. But John Glover is just almost constantly has this huge rictus grin on his face. And his hair has this perfect little, little wave at the front. John and Glover's hair is magical in everything he's in. <laughs> it's it's just in this one he's yeah perfect little Jimmy Olsen uh, like quaff. My my favorite is uh, still probably in Batman and Robin where he has a huge fro with a white streak <laughs> through it, uh, and in Smallville where he had like the beautiful glow flowing locks all the time. Oh man, I I could I could stare at Jonathan Glover for hours. He I I don't know about hours. I, I get a little <laughs> antsy, but he's a good-looking man. He's uh, it's, it's not just the, like the good-looking. If you just look at him in regular life, he doesn't look like he's someone who would be cast as monster. like a norm a normal dad character. As a normal person, as a he's normal so person, deformed. <laughs> he's not deformed. He just has kind of a, like a Vincent Price shaped face. Yeah. You wouldn't expect him to be playing the the goofy dad, but he absolutely sells it he in this nails movie. It. Oh my god! And he originally auditioned for Mr. Crabnet. Makes sense. That's more of the part he usually gets. Yeah, they were going. It was a toss up of which they would cast him for because they love him as both. Yeah, but Mr. Crabnet is immediately trying to fuck Miriam. Mr. Crabnet is just the worst. He's yes. just the worst human being alive. He is. Just if uh, it's like if cocaine could wear shoes. <laughs> oh my god! I think you just described most of the the ex- the CEO characters or the, the the corporate characters in the RoboCop movie. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna be one bad motherfucker. But yeah, no, he's yeah. If cocaine could wear shoes. And was just constantly horny. I don't know if cocaine makes you horny. I I've never tried it. I know it makes it's you not in my bag. It makes people fucking annoying. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, he is immediately just an absolute horn dog for the mom. And who wouldn't be? Sure, I wouldn't molest her. No, but I would. I would go, Hollow Head. Your wife is very attractive, <laughs> and I mean that as your superior. <laughs> And he immediately starts, immediately uh, Hollowhead start. Henry Hollowhead, is that his name? Yes. Dad? He tries to, you know, just engage Mr. Krabnick in conversation, just sort of have a, a, a good old sit-down talk about things. And Mr. Krabnick just starts laying on the abuse. Yes. Uh, is not a good professional working relationship. Before we get there. Yeah. We see Cindy getting ready for the party. Right. Uh, in a very, very long montage. Very long montage. She tries on so many dresses. Yes. And then after she picks a dress and a hairstyle, 
mm-hmm. which is all sort of applied to her, like by Jetson's gadgetry. Right. Cindy practices a poem for mm-hmm. her crush, Jeff. Yes. Jeff. And Billy is being a creep and yes. is just watching his sister. Yep. Uh, he then blackmails Cindy because she read an embarrassing poem, poem that now Cindy has to feed Grandpa for the next six turns. Right. Billy comes downstairs and meets Mr. Crabneck. Mm-hmm. They shake hands, and immediately, <laughs> Mr. Mr. C is attacking a child. He squeezes Billy's hand till it's causing him clear pain. Yes. Then Mr. Crabneck goes to the bathroom. Now here we do get a little bit of uh, 50 sitcom satire. This okay. is one of the few moments. It's after Mr. Crabneck goes to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Henry goes out to Miriam, and they're in the kitchen. And it begins with Miriam saying, I'm very upset yes. about you bringing the boss over to dinner. Mm-hmm. And the scene ends with her apologizing and say she'll try harder. Yes. She has immediately assumed blame for the situation that she had no bearing on that she that she had no she had no hand in bringing it about the scene would be more clearly satire if john glover said tough shit you know if if john glover was more dismissive about her feelings but he is actually very apologetic yeah to her and is like i did not want to bring him here he just told me hey I'll accept your inv- invitation. I said, I didn't invite you. And he said, learn to improvise, fuck nut. And we, we moved on. So the the irony is is that John Glover and, I'm sorry, what was her name, Miriam? Miriam. Play a really cute couple. They do. They, They're great together. They have chemistry, which is weird. It's... Given how like over the top and unreal everything has been made to feel... They feel kind of like a couple. The acting in this movie is pretty sharp, especially yeah. the interplay between people. Right. They they genuinely they don't even spend a lot of time on screen together until this last uh, part of the film. But they really feel like a family. They they absolutely do, which is impressive. I will give the movie this. And now here is where the movie, as we've said before, makes a dramatic shift. Yes. We leave behind all the. Weird animals and gadgets and everything. They're in the background. They're in the background, but they're not... They were the movie up until this point. Yeah. And now the movie just becomes this horror film about this terrible person... Yes. ...who you cannot throw out. (laughs) Like I said, Mr. Crabnet goes to the bathroom, and Billy the fucking creepy kid... ...is just watching him. Yeah, he watches through a crack in the door, and Mr. Krabnick has found a garter. Yep. Either for the mom or for the daughter, we don't know, and is sniffing the hell out of it. Sniffs it, wipes it on his face. Oh, that's right, he does do that. <laughs> then, and th- I love the next about 30 seconds of this, his head snaps, he locks <laughs> eyes with Billy, and he, like, I, it's just so sudden, and is, like, mm, more dynamic movement and camera work than we've mm-hmm. seen. Yeah. It's just this beautiful look by the actor. Yes. Billy runs off. And then as Mr. Crabneck is coming back into the living room, the music is perfect as he steps down the couple of stairs and his posture and his body language are perfect as he's looking at Billy. The performance of Mr. Crabneck is masterful. 
It's tremendous. It's it's really great. Absolutely. For an actor I've never heard of. There's so many talent there's so many more talented people in this world than you will ever hear of. Exactly. And that's annoying. But that's kind of another reason why we go for more obscure, weirder movies when we can. Exactly. Because you can find these people. They're just fantastic and no one knows who they are. Yeah. I, I would love to see I think I well, like I said, Bella Mafia. I know I looked him up. I know there's a movie that was made about Trump's life from before he was president, mm. where this guy played Mayor Ed Koch. Okay. <laughs> I don't know much about Mayor Ed Koch. I, I don't know a lot about him either. Henry tries to talk to Billy about fighting, telling him that violence never solves anything. And of course, like you knew this was coming, <laughs> Mr. Crabneck yeah. would be like, no, violence is great. He says, shut up, hollowhead, I'll handle this. Yep. And then he tells Billy that he's going to show him something that his father taught him. And there's this weird little pause, and then he goes, before he died. <laughs> and I didn't know if the implication was supposed to be that Crabneck killed his father. And we know from the conversation earlier he was having with John Glover's character that he inherited the company. Yes. He got his job through, essentially, nepotism. Yeah. Although he calls it good timing. Yes. <laughs> Which is... That is another bit of, like actually accurate satire the the people who were born into wealth and born into privilege and, and power making excuses how they absolutely deserve this mm -hmm. and again like i wish the movie had leaned into like sort of yes satire of capitalism and of... that would have been great and this would have been a perfect way to bring that satire in having yeah. mr krabnick enter their world that up till now has been set up in this way being, bringing Mr. Krabnick in and having him be the, like the, the the master puppeteer that pulls their strings and controls their lives, yeah. that would have been very fascinating. But again, since we all since we know that their that their entire world is tied up in the company, their days are called shifts. Yes, uh, it's it's there's something that could be done with yes. that. There there's a lot of <sighs> it's. A, a movie with potential is always more frustrating than just a bad movie. Yes. Yes. Agreed. And then he said, he, Krabnick says he's going to show Billy something that his father taught him. Yeah. Uh, then he keeps distracting Billy, like, uh, pointing at his shirt, like, what's this right there? And then hitting yeah, him, in the nose, him in the nose. Look over there, hits him in the head. All the oldest tricks in the book. Ends up knocking him to the ground. Yeah. Then when he gets up, puts him in a headlock. Yep. Henry Hollowhead is just watching, going, I think you're being a bit rough. <laughs> Could you stop? <laughs> I, think, I think you got the point, Mr. Krabnick. Uh, Billy stomps on Krabnick's foot and runs yes. off. And as he goes, we get the first uh, tiger roar. Yes. Come back here, you yellow striped pipe blot. And he makes a tiger claw motion. He goes, yeah, the, oh, my God. This this is the best. Just the tiger clubs. Wow, it's so good. And I w like I wish there was more of that. Like, yes, that's a very interesting stylistic choice. Yeah, I and it's clearly intentional because like it's not even like he's reaching for them or anything. It's an actual tiger claw hand motion. Yeah, they knew what they were going to put in in post. Absolutely. At this point, uh, I think when we watch Natural Born Killers there will be a surprising amount of thinking about this movie. Thinking about this movie? Yes. Interesting. Okay. The more I think about it, the more I think Oliver Stone just watched Meet the Hollowhead. 
And it's like, <laughs> what if Woody Harrelson in, was in this and also uh, a lot more murder? <laughs> Great. Uh, so while this is happening, uh, Cindy... Cindy, who is 14... We are told repeatedly she is 14. She is 14. Even in the opening rap song, the yes. rapper mentions that she is 14. She mentions that she's 14 in the conversation about the softness jelly. Yeah. Saying that some girls start when they're 12. Why shouldn't I have it? I'm 14. But Cindy comes down, and Mr. C is immediately enchanted by this 14-year-old girl. Oh my god, he girl. is getting so he close. to fuck so bad. There is some great physical acting between him and Jonathan Glover, with Jonathan Glover constantly playing goalie, yeah. trying to block his physical body there are, from his daughter. There are times when this movie threatens to break out into farce. <laughs> and uh, this is one of those moments. Yes. And again, if you want to lean into something like... Lean into something. God make, damn. Make it a farce. Make it... Yeah. But this is just some very egregious... Mm-hmm. Uh, middle-aged man hitting on a 14 uh Mr. Crabnet refers to Cindy as succulent. Oh my god. Yes. And it's kind of funny. And he says that all the 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 boys at the party she's going to are going to trip over their own tubes. Yeah. <laughs> uh and it's kind of funny just how egregious and aggressive and like he is when I when I say he's the worst, He's the worst, like the yes. worst. We found him. Yes. It's just wow. It's our president if he had even less even less taste. Yes. Like wow. Before Cindy can go to the party, she has to feed grandpa. Yes. Uh, She's given a comical oversized syringe, the kind that Alice Cooper is often stabbed with during his live shows. <laughs> uh, grandpa's down in a dark room with yes. tubes of blue light. He- Sits in a chair above a big flashing light. Yep. Uh, Cindy reclines him. She puts a thing in his mouth. Yeah, a little then funnel. Puts, yeah, basically a funnel. Then puts the giant syringe into the funnel and begins pumping food into his mouth. Oh my god! And it's <laughs> and here's where here's where I ask the, the question: How is this a satire of fifty sitcoms? <laughs> I don't know. But there's another element to the grandpa that's added in there, where they have to be careful about feeding the grandpa. They, they they talk, Cindy and the mom talk about this briefly. They can't let anyone know that they have the grandpa in the basement. Really? I didn't catch that. Yeah, they, they imagine, with Mr., uh, I keep wanting to call him Mr. Crab Key, Mr. Crab Sticks. Crabneck. Crabneck, Jesus. And Mr. Crabneck is in the other room. We can't let him know that we have grandpa down there because he'll be flushed out of here if, 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 we, if they find out. So is this a world like in the uh, in like Logan's Run, yeah. where you get to a certain age and you're just dead, like or maybe because he's so he's physically clear. and mentally deteriorated yeah. that he is no like maybe, maybe it's a euthanasia thing where he's it's no like, longer of use to the company, therefore yeah. he must die. We don't know. That's another one of these world building lines that is just left there and never touched on again. Another another a big example of that is in the beginning we're told about the word penetration is mentioned a couple times as being the severe punishment. And I was like, of course we're gonna see punetration at some point. Nope. 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 You you wanna know what this how this world works? Sorry. You can, yep. If you, if you want to watch a fully realized world, you're going to have to go watch Brazil or some shit. This is not the movie for you. Upstairs, Oliver Digits, which is a great name, 
comes to pick up Cindy. Oliver. He's he's the geekiest geek. Oh, Oliver. He is the nerdiest nerd. He's so sweet, though. Uh, he talks tubes with Henry. Yeah, he tr- he, he's, uh, he tries to do the company salute, and he doesn't know how to do it oh, yet. Oh, no. And <laughs> Mr. Krabnick asks who Oliver is, asks if it's Cindy's date, and Mr. Krabnick is aghast. <laughs> Starts insulting Oliver. Oliver just lets it, like, just wash over him like water on a duck's back. He's he's completely oblivious to any kind of negative emotion. Uh, they sit, uh, Cindy leaves for the party. The They sit down to dinner, mm-hmm. and Mr. Krabnack is just openly leering at Mrs. Hollowhead. Oh my god, like, so openly, like, he's looking down her shirt every chance he can. And it culminates in him licking her hand. Yeah. And like, Mr. Hollowhead goes berserk. He goes absolutely. He's like, I have been working at this company since the beginning. I have been so loyal, and this is the, the thanks I get. This is the, the treatment I get. We do get a few more visual gags in the in the style of the beginning when we see the finished dishes yes. from Mrs. Hollowhead. But um Whatever. But yeah, so uh then he goes berserk, and then they finally convince him to sit back down. Yeah, by Mrs. saying that uh, Marty, as he insists every woman call him. Yes, uh, it was just joking. No, he wasn't. And here's where, like we said, this is a very disturbing portion of the movie, because the whole movie is a disturbing portion of the movie. True, but this is like. Mrs. Hollowhead knows that it, it's the old sitcom trope where we can't insult the boss because mm-hmm. he has all the power. Yeah. But Mr. Kravnik is so Dis- aggressive he's and so disgusting, disgusting that when when Mrs. Hollowhead is like sort of calming Henry down and mm-hmm. acquiescing a little bit, it's a little stomach turning. It is a little stomach. This is where we get into a scene that reminded me of the scene that made me not like Wild at Heart, where. After they've calmed down Henry Hollowhead, Mr. Krabnick continues his assault on uh, Mrs. Hollowhead by literally reaching up her skirt. Yes, and she is like trying to do this like two leg this this sort of like closed legged dance, trying to get his hand out of there without alerting Mr. Hollowhead so that he doesn't freak out again. And it is um, played for laughs. There's still the plinky plunk comedy music, and again, very upsetting. Yes, very upsetting. And she sits down, and at that point, is like, "Okay, we need to get rid of this guy." I was. It's played for laughs, but it's played for dark comedy laughs. Oh where, yeah, where it's not like, isn't sexual assault funny? It's isn't it funny to play this music that does not fit over this horrifying thing? Right, and have the characters not react to it like it would be a real thing. She's yeah. still she's still reacting like a Lucille Ball type. See, I got the impression that she was super turned on by him touching her legs. I was desperately trying not to get that impression. Yeah. But uh, there, I can definitely see where you got that from. But she sits down and immediately says, I think he, that he needs to go. Uh, before... Before all that happens, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Krabnack talks a little bit about the rationalists. Yes. Which, again, is something that is not explained. And this is something that really bothered me, the rationalists. 
because it's it's kind of like something that I, a criticism I heard someone say of They Live once that turned out to be false when I actually watched the movie. They said that They Live is so vague about its political opinions. What? That you can say anyone from any side of the aisle can say that it's in favor of them. This is not true when you actually watch They Live. No. If you actually pay attention to what people say in that movie, it's very specifically on one side of the aisle. It's a side of the aisle that we're we're kind of on. Yeah. So, um, but uh, this movie is kind of that way. Like, it's very anti-corporate, which you could, you could say is kind of a liberal mindset. Yeah. But they're even like even those old 60s and 50s sitcoms were which were pretty right wing in their politics could be anti-corporate sometimes or could be anti oh the boss is being a bully Mm -hmm. kind of stories but like with the rationalists you don't know who the rationalists are clearly because it's a 50s 60s setcom thing and they talk about him marrying a rationalist it's set up to be like the socialists yeah we don't know if that's what this is in this universe we don't know what the rationalists stand for it does give us some funny lines though yes it does uh henry says uh you didn't know she was a rationalist when you married her and <laughs> mr kravnik says no i married her because she was a sumptuous piece of throbbing flesh and then the son says what does that mean dad i'll tell you later honey <laughs> <laughs> and they do and john john uh glover's sm- rictus grin is just always smiling always so earnest perfect delivery uh perfect delivery then uh, miriam says you must have loved her deeply, and Crabneck re- replies, often. <laughs> okay, yes. That whole string of dialogue was tremendous. It, it was it was really funny. Absolutely great. And here's where I noticed how unbalanced the movie is. There's so much exhausting, weird stuff yeah. up front, and now it's just people talking. People talking wordplay dialogue yeah. it's, it's almost a play at this point yeah which it's, it's a fucking Edward Albee play <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it's 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 less cinematic than me and my dick was yes <laughs> it's not that it's necessarily bad it's just it's just not cinematic it's just this a weird sort of pacing problem yeah it's like You've established this very nuts world, and now you're not really taking advantage of it. No. Yeah. It would have been... Man, you know what? They, they should have had, like, the 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 chairs growing out of the floor and adjust and being alive and adjusting while they were... That would have been to, cool. ...to give them comfort and stuff. Like, just, yeah, keep keep up the the, the blast. Keep, keep making it worse yeah. for us. Spread it out so it's not as much of a sensory overload in the beginning or if it's going to be a sensory overload continue the sensory overload yes. toward the end take take a, a page from ralph bakshi's work and just completely <laughs> fuck the audience minds up so after miriam gets her legs rubbed the family mm-hmm. starts to talk about how great henry is he's so great he's the best meter man he deserves a promotion yes and they're Crab- talking him up and crabneck goes well, if you're the best why would i promote you right and, again, here's a little bit of that corporate satire. Yes. Where it's like, Henry realized, like, oh, yeah, I'm the best. They're, they have no reason to promote me. Mm-hmm. And he begins to mumble about himself, about sabotaging the works, and sort of about revolution. And Crabneck is just openly chasing 
Mrs. Hollowhead at this point. He says the only way that I'll give him a a, a promotion is if uh, Mrs. Hollowhead uh, gives up something. Yeah, and in Henry is oblivious of while this is going on. It's a very upsetting scene. Uh, it's definitely the most surreal scene the movie has had. Other things could be chalked up to. This is a sci-fi universe, but this is a legitimately surrealist moment of yeah. the the husband sitting there in ennui, too too wrapped up in ennui to know this was going on, while the wife is being chased around by a literal rapist monster. He even says, "No means yes." Does he? I, I missed that yep. one. And uh, Mr. Crabneck starts motorboating. Miriam. Oh my god, yes, yeah. It, uh, it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> finally, she takes action, mm-hmm. knees him in the groin. Henry starts punching him. Yeah, Henry gets up and is like, I'm gonna say the word, Miriam. And Miriam gives the word and he starts punching Mr. Crabneck. Uh, Crabneck eventually catches his fist, bends it back, yes. starts strangling him. Oh my god. Uh, this scene is my favorite scene. Billy and Miriam are... Begging him to stop. Miriam says she'll do anything. Yep. And finally, Miriam pulls down this big thing from the ceiling, which electrocutes Mr. Crabneck. Yes, is what she was using to cook the food earlier. And when he comes out of it, he's all burnt on the back and bloody. Mm-hmm. Now, why is this your favorite scene? I don't know. I think maybe because I've been waiting for so long for something to happen, and finally something happened, is like... Um, is just if this is a black comedy parody of a 60s sitcom having the conclusion of the story be murder is a pretty novel way to end the I, movie. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, it's a pretty novel way to end it and I think there might also be a, an aspect where I'm a sick fuck yeah. and I think I enjoy violence maybe a little bit too much and so the fact that somebody was going to die in this movie just was like thank god yeah (laughs) and please let it be the worst person i have ever seen in a movie (laughs) and mr crabneck because he's the worst once he's back on his feet immediately attacks the child yep and miriam stabs him in the neck with a meat fork yes which was great which was great but by this point i was just so disengaged with the movie that it was like, I wish I was enjoying this more because this is pretty great that it's now devolving into like Looney Tunes violence. Right. Because Mr. Crabneck takes a fucking beating. The family thinks he's dead. Several times. Several times. But he keeps getting up. Um, Here's where the tentacle comes back because after he gets up, he puts Billy in a headlock again. The tentacle comes out and strangles him a bit. And he rips the tentacle out of the wall. So apparently there's no big creature back there. I assume there was a big creature made of tentacles, but apparently it's just one long tentacle that you can pull out of the tube. I, I assume it, like, snaps off, maybe, eventually? Oh, maybe. maybe. I don't know. Uh, Mr. Crabneck gets free from that, is zapped again by something that Henry has, and the right side of his face is all disfigured. Yes. This was a nice makeup effect. It was, yeah. It's one of the only makeup effects that the makeup artist who directed this movie, uh, manages to, to do in the movie i will say now that i think about it another cool way to end this movie going a lovecraftian route like we were talking about last week would be that the entire house is one large creature that would be interesting. and all of the protrusions and tentacles that come out of the walls are all aspects of the house and in the end when he offends the people in the house 
uh, and, and offends the tentacle by ripping the tentacle off. It gets mad, breaks through the wall, and just consumes him. That would be interesting. It's not that kind of movie, though. No, but, like, the movie can't seem to decide what kind of movie it is anyway, so... True. Why not? It's I... what I want. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and after he gets zapped, he falls to the ground again. Yes. Again, they're sure he's dead, and uh, Henry and Miriam have a funny conversation where they're talking about, like, uh, <laughs> Henry's like... a. They're still very in the 50s mode. And here's where yes. that's, again, parody, not satire. But it's really funny to... They're still de- dealing with the problem as if it were the sitcom problem of They're the still week. very chipper. Yeah. Uh, Miriam goes, Henry, what about your career? We just committed murder. <laughs> and again, the actress, the two actors are great together. Oh my God. Then Mr. Krabneck bursts in again like he's the fucking tyrant from Resident Evil 2. <laughs> Good reference. Attacks Henry, gets stabbed again by Miriam. Mm-hmm. Uh, she cuts a couple fingers off. Oh, yeah, that was a great effect, too. That was awesome. Oh, I love a good finger slice. Uh, Bud comes home drunk, and he has the chicken from his instrument. Uh, not like, the rest of his instrument, just the chicken. Just the chicken, and it's all fucking purple, and like yeah. looks bloody, and it's it sort of like, its head is like has a long neck, and yeah. just sort of like a snout. And yes. Like a mouth, and it just sort of gurgles and repeats the words that people say. Yes. And it's this wonderful, disaffecting yeah. thing that's like, I, I didn't even realize it was the chicken from his thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like, no one really addresses it. It's just like, Yeah. Yeah. And he says, nobody, he got drunk because nobody liked his songs at yeah. the party. Uh,. Which is sad. Then there's a knock at the door. Uh oh, they have a dead body and a drunk boy. Well, at least it's probably not the police. It is the police. Oh no! With young Cindy. Oh and one no! Of, one of those cops is Bobcat Goldthwait. Cool. <laughs> you don't know who Bobcat Goldthwait is? Not really. Is? No. Oh, he's cool. Okay. He is cool. Yeah, it uh, a cool name. He. Uh, we might do a movie of his at some point called Shakes the Clown. Oh wait. His alcoholic clown movie. Isn't that the one where Robin Williams is a mime teacher? Yes. Yeah, I know about that one. Yeah, I'd like to do that movie at some point. Cindy's out of her mind on vapor. She was at a vapor party. Yes, they got a, they got access to a restricted tube full of vapor. Vapor. And she also has two pounds of softening jelly on her. Yes. Whatever the fuck that means. And people keep being very sexually inappropriate to Cindy. They somehow know that she has fucked that night. They know that she has fucked, and we know that, because of something she says later, that Jeff did not come to the party, so she did not fuck Jeff. Okay. The one that she wanted to fuck. And the cop keep... And the the larger of the two cops keeps implying that he has also slept with Cindy that night. And that they shouldn't tell, which, because she's high, means rape. Yes. Yeah. And Cindy is constantly molesting this larger cop. Henry asked if Oliver was the one that she had sex with. Not in so many words, but he was really hopeful that Oliver Digits got some. (laughs) Uh, And then we find, then one of the the Bobcat Goldplay cops tells us that Oliver overdosed. (laughs) And he overdosed 
on butt polish. <laughs> it's not even funny. Why am I laughing? But it is funny. And then he goes, then he goes, when will kids learn to just say no to butt polish? <laughs> And I laughed. I laughed at that part. Like it's so stupid. It's the lowest. It's the lowest joke in the movie, but it's still oh my God. made me laugh. Uh, the cops are briefly suspicious that something is going on. Yeah. But are about to leave when Bud sees Mister C wake up, runs screaming to the cops about a monster. But Billy saves the day when yes. he comes out with his head covered in goop, saying he's a monster. Right. And then when the cop, I think it was Bobcat Goldthwait again, says. When are you kids going to learn? <laughs> they want to live life on the edge. They gotta let them. Uh, Mr. Crabneck is crawling towards the family when Billy gets an idea. Uh, this is after the cops have left. After the cops have left. Uh, cut to, I think it's breakfast the next morning. Yes. The Again, a very 50 sitcom scene where they mm-hmm. perfectly match the tone. Uh, there's a very bizarre moment where Henry refers to Billy as my boy. And Miriam goes, he's not your boy. I mean, he's our little man now. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. I think it... I don't know. I'm not, the only thing I can think of is it was implying some sort of cuckoldry. If this was a satire, you could have... there. Okay, so there was a very... Sh- I keep referencing other things. There was a... If, if you want more weird in your life, there was a very short-lived sketch comedy YouTube channel called Nuclear Family. And one of the running gags was that uh, the the hosts of the channel were a nuclear family mm-hmm. that were literal that were a parody of the '50s '60s um, sitcom family. But one of the satire elements was that they were as happy as they pretended to be, and as much as they talked like normal a normal family would from those sitcoms, they were all deeply unhappy in various ways. For instance, the husband, the father of the family, was uh, closeted gay mm-hmm. and hated all women and hated being in a heterosexual relationship but demanded that everyone continue to pretend to be in that relationship, whereas the mom was constantly horny but could, was n- unable to get off with her husband, who she actually did love yeah. because of his problems. And that joke would have worked if it was the nuclear family yes. making it. That would have absolutely worked, but in this context, where they've been such a sweet couple up to now, what's the point of throwing in this last-minute infidelity plotline? I, I don't know. And it doesn't really work as a joke, like it's just no. like a, a bizarre, like a really off-the-cuff, non-sequitur sort of thing. It could work as satire if it had been set up as such. Yeah. That they were secretly, this family is not that great after all, but yeah. We find out that Mr. Crabneck is now down in the basement with Grandpa. Yes. Henry they, got a promotion. All's well that ends in well. In a catatonic state and feed him with the same big green syringe. Yeah. And my last note was, how did this movie exist and Weird Al Yankovic never showed up once? I don't know. Just does, just seems like his kind of movie. I think he was too big in the 80s. Come on, it's Weird Al Yankovic. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I don't think I don't know where do he would have shown up. Maybe as the wacky neighbor who's like, Can I come over and borrow an accordion? Oh man, that was a pretty good Weird Al impression. <laughs> Thank you. I don't think you could do it in a normal voice, but probably Shrieking not. like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, that's Meet the Hollowheads, a.k.a. Life on the Edge. Jesus Christ. It's... What have we done? <laughs> what I has been know. done to us? Again, it's it's a very interesting movie. It is that. It's a very singular experience. It's a movie that will genuinely leave you asking, how did this movie exist all this time and I never heard about it? Yeah, because it's... And it you got... It got a uh, VHS and Laserdisc release, I believe. It did not get a theatrical release. I think it did get a oh, very, okay. very limited one with very little publicity. <laughs> but then there was a DVD release, which in the production diary and like the epilogue note, yeah, uh, Lisa Morton is not even sure that it was a legitimate release. <laughs> Like, she thinks it might have been some sort of bootleg or something. I will say the quality of the film on Amazon is real shit. Oh, it's very bad. It's very bad. Like, I... Okay, as much as I do not... I stand by what I said in the beginning. I do not recommend this movie unless you are into hate-fucking-your-brain for a couple of hours. Well, not even a couple of hours. It's actually a pretty short movie. But... I do think that this movie is so strange that it deserves a higher quality transfer. True. And it deserves to be preserved. We here at 1000 Wives of Weird uh, celebrate the big swings, even yes. if they fail. The, and this is a big swing. Yeah. And reading the production diary, I know a lot of people put a lot of earnest effort into it. And we love that. We yeah. Love, we love art made for art's sake, even, again, even if it fails. You, even if you... Yeah. And aim for the moon, at least you'll land among the stars. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Gandhi. Exactly. Joe Gandhi. Joe Gandhi. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I still recommend checking it out. It deserves to be seen. Uh, yeah. The actors in it deserve to be seen. They're giving their all. I want more people to know about John Glover, because he is fabulous, and he deserves to be a household name. Absolutely. He's... he's a, a wonderful, wonderful actor. And there are a lot of wonderful actors in here. There are, yeah. Every, everyone gives 110%, and I, I could not be happier with the cast. Oh, yeah. They're, they're tremendous. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. I just there's, there's so much to this movie and so little to this movie at the same time. Exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you compared it to... Fuck it, the first movie we watched. What the hell was that Tracks. called? Tracks. Tracks, damn it. When you compared it to Tracks, I think you hit the nail on the head. Because there's so much about this movie that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. But it misses it by that much. The old uh, Get Smart slogan. Missed yeah. it by that much. It's just, mmm. Yeah. Could have been so much more. Absolutely. And hopefully, uh, like we said, Tom Berman never directed another... No. Maybe he can... Pull out one last maybe effort and give it another try. Has the writer written anything else? Uh, nothing of note. Okay. Just well, going on to do a few other things, but well, I'm sh- I I'd like to read your original script. Let me put it that way. I yeah, like I like I'd like to see what you intended because I have a feeling that there was a lot of hand wringing by the by the studio about what a bizarre piece of cinema this was yes all right next week uh next week i i know i told you that i wanted to watch maniac yeah i've decided to switch it up on you okay because i just i just really want to watch this movie 
and so I decided to make it an episode. I would like to talk next week about George Romero's unsung classic, Martin. Okay, I've never heard of Martin. You've never heard of Martin? I was hoping you were going to say Monkey Shines. I have never seen Monkey Shines. It's... So I want, because this is my week to start, I want to do a movie I know about. Gotcha. So it's going to be Martin. It is George Romero's attempt at reinventing the vampire mythos. And it uh, did not take off in any way like his zombie films did. But it is a... Um, an unsung masterpiece. Awesome. I can't wait. Yeah. All right. So uh, thank you for joining us. Absolutely.